0: Back to um, Galatians uh, chapter 1, I'm going to read you four verses, but we're going to look at two. Um, Let me read you the four verses, and then I'll start commenting. But it starts at verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Here's the two that we're going to look at. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Now, guys, in a lot of ways, um, much of what I have been saying for the last two or three weeks has has been designed to prepare you for verses eight and nine. I don't know of any other way to to or to typify these these two verses than to, than to tell you they are severe. Um, l- let's just start with the word anathema. Um, or anathema, um, um, anathema. Um, it's um, it's a word that's been brought over to the, uh, the uh, English language. It's it's just a transliteration of the Greek word anathema, anathema, um, and it has to do with falling under a divine curse. You know, I have said it like this before. Um, I, I think some think I'm, I'm somewhat overstating. I do not think this is an overstatement, but, you know, I'm, I'm a gifted overstater. Um, when, when he says, let them be accursed, and uses this Greek term, let them fall under a divine curse, he in essence is saying, let them go to hell. Um, that's severe. If I, could, if I could summarize these two verses for you, I would say that the the subject matter contained in verses 8 and 9 of Galatians 1 has to do with the duty, the duty of intolerance. Now, guys, I I, I don't say that casually. I I don't say it flippantly. Uh, I'm not not happy about promoting intolerance. Intolerance is an ugly thing. There's, There's nothing pretty about the intolerant. And, and there are only a few things over which we should be or have a duty of intolerance, but the gospel is one of them. Um, intolerance elsewhere is nothing but our sin. But there, what, what you see Paul saying here in this uncompromising language is because what was at stake is the gospel message. And, of course, if the gospel is at stake, then the souls of men are at stake and the, and the, and the beauty of Christ's finished work is at stake. So he, he, he doesn't pull any punches. Um, I, I, don't, I don't enjoy promoting intolerance. I mean, that's not – and very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, intolerance elsewhere, I just hope you know. I, 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 I think it would – I hope you don't hear me saying that. Intolerance across the board, that's not what I'm saying. But, but over this, this thing called the gospel, there is a duty on the part of the people of God to be intolerant about it being toyed with. I want you to notice what he says. He says in essence in verses eight and nine, I would rather angels be damned than that the gospel be damaged. Damaged. And if you'll notice in in verse 8, he says, even if we, or an angel from heaven, he includes himself. He says, all of us, all of us, angels, me, anybody else, we must be rejected if we in any way alter the gospel. His apostolic authority derives from the gospel's authority, not the other way around. The gospel doesn't have authority because the apostle says so. The apostle has authority because the gospel says so. Guys, um, judge me. Judge me by the gospel that I preach. Um, angelic visions even must be tested by their faithfulness to the gospel message. Now, guys, um, those last two sentences that I have just uttered, judge me by the gospel I preach. Angelic visions must be tested by the gospel. Those two statements, I think introduces us at least to a brief discussion of something you have probably never heard of, epistemolo- epistemology. Um, uh, I, I have to use a word like that every now and then just to let you know that I'm educated. Um, but it, it uh, epistemology comes from a episteme. Um, oh That's sorry. Um, which means knowledge, and, you know, logy l- 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 on the end comes from a, the word logos, which is the study of knowledge. Epistemology, if you've never heard of the word, guys, epistemology is, um, is just what knowledge is and how do we get it. Um, of course, philosophically, you're introduced to the whole subject of truth and, and where, where it comes from, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but guys, what I'm saying, or what, what Paul is saying, I, I, at least part of what he's saying, is that the truth must be judged by its faithfulness to the gospel. Nothing else. How do I get knowledge? Um, for instance... Guys, one of the great mistakes that I think that's made in evangelicalism is is an epistemological mistake. Uh, let, me, let me illustrate it. Uh, Jesus says in John 8, verse 32, he says, You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That is, knowledge of truth is to give its own uh, emotional response. It is not the other way around. I do not find truth by my experience. It is my truth that gives me an experience, and it is truth that helps me interpret the experience. I'll I'll, I'll do better than that. I'll give you a a classic illustration, I think. I had a young woman come to me one time, and um, she was a a, a very outspoken and, and, I think, a very devoted believer. And she told me that she no longer believed in eternal security. Now you don't use that language. That's um, you use the language. Once saved, always saved. And that's good language. I just don't like it. I prefer eternal security, but she doesn't, uh, she, she was rejecting that now. She was rejecting that now. And I said, well, well, why? And she said, well, I'll tell you why I've got a friend. He's a man. He's an older man. Um, he, he had been married to the same woman for 17 years and he, he, he's faithful in the church. He, um, he, um, he taught Sunday school. He was a deacon in his church. You know, he's just a, just a fine man. His wife was uh, diagnosed with cancer. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And, um, and she died 11 months later. And then, as a result of her death, he, this man bolted from the faith. So obviously, you see, that you can't believe in eternal security... Because that man, who I know was a believer, uh, has left the faith as a result of the death of his wife. Do you see the mistake that she has made? She has derived truth from her experience. Not, you shall know the truth and it will set you free. It is not experience being interpreted by truth. It is truth being established by experience. That is an epistemological mistake. How do I come to the truth? How do I find any knowledge? Through experience? No, ladies and gentlemen, judge me by the gospel I preach. Let me give you another example. The one that Martin Luther was fighting. You know, I, I, I talked about Martin Luther in his commentary on Galatians and yada, 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 yada. So the, the, the problem that Martin Luther had was his relationship to Rome. Um, you know, guys, I, I'm about the only dinosaur that still loves Pilgrim's Progress. If you've ever been in my grace group, we study Pilgrim's Progress. And, they, you know, it's getting so now that when I say we're going to study Pilgrim's Progress, they look at me and say, what? Study what? Do you know that the, the most widely sold book next to the Bible in the whole Christian universe is Pilgrim's Progress? By the way, this is not Pilgrim's Progress. This is a commentary by Spurgeon. Spurgeon drew 40% of his illustrations out of Pilgrim's Progress. I mean, he's he's always alluding to something in Pilgrim's Progress. Now, guys, Luther is fighting Rome. And and one of the issues is their epistemology. How do you get truth? I want to read you this little, um, and then I'm going to do some more artwork, which is, you know, really suspect. This is just a sentence or two. Uh, while Christian, uh, Christian is the guy you know, is on the progress to the celestial city. While he was bewailing his unhappy miscarriage, he 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 lost his his assurance. Um, he lifted up his eyes, and behold, there was a very stately palace before him, the name of which was beautiful. Now listen to this. This is genius, and it stood just by. The highway side. Didn't you see the genius in that? <laughs> really, you didn't. Well, let me explain it to you, guys. So Pilgrim's on his way to heaven. He's on the way. He's on this path that takes him to heaven. Okay, he's on this path that takes him to you know glory up here. And he's on this path, and 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 Bunyan says uh, he was really bemoaning the fact that he would had this moral failure, and he sees a stately palace. Uh, the name of which was beautiful. There's a chapter in Pilgrim's Progress called The Beautiful Palace. Or, no, no, it's called The Palace Beautiful. And The Palace Beautiful was the church. Notice where Bunyan says the church is found. And it stood just by the highway side. So the church. Is right over here. The palace beautiful. On his way to glory. There is the church. Right, at this, right, at, right on the side. Contrary to that. Rome stated. That the church. That the path to heaven. Went right through the church. Do you see the difference in that, ladies and gentlemen? The church, according to 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, is to be the the pillar and the foundation of truth. But she is not the origin and the source of truth. She's a supporter of the truth. From where do I get my truth? Ladies and gentlemen, it's not from the church. No, ma'am, you don't go through the church to arrive at truth. You're on the way to glory, and the church is off to the side supporting and, and, and encouraging you by the truth. Guys, um, the church gets her authority... From the truth. Not the other way around. That's an epistemological question. What is truth and where do I get it? How do I get it? Do I get it by going through the church? Guys, um, Roman Catholicism claims that the Pope... Is the supreme judge of the scriptures. That is an epistemological difference and a huge one. Protestantism says that the palace is beautiful and it stood just by the highway. Side. It's over here on the side. I'm on my way to heaven, and it is the truth that gives the church authority, not the other way around. Do you see that? It is the truth that gives the church authority, not the church giving the truth authority. The church doesn't rule. On what the truth is, the church is a pillar and a foundation of truth, but she's not the source. She's not the origin of the truth. Paul looks at his audience and he says, Judge me by what the church says about me. No. Judge me by the truth. Judge me by the gospel that I preach. Guys, that's one of the reasons that the Protestant reformational view of sola scriptura is, it was called the material cause of the Protestant Reformation. The, The formal cause, no, no, the material cause was justification by faith. The formal cause was this idea of where do you get your truth? What is your epistemology? Where is what is the origin of the truth? The church, that's Rome's position. And the whole Protestant Reformation revolted at that idea that that knowledge has its the way I get it is that I go through the church. And the church establishes and, and, and places its sanction of approval. This book has authority because the church said so. No. A thousand times no. The church has authority because this book says so. That is our epistemology, ladies and gentlemen. Now, what is, what is truth, what is not, that, that's, that's a whole other side of the, the epistemological question. But how do I get it? That, ladies and gentlemen, the Apostle Paul says, I subject myself to the church. No. No, he doesn't say that. Judge me. Judge me by the gospel that I preach. And I would rather see angels damned than to see the gospel damaged. So if we, if we are an angel from heaven, you have this, this angelic experience that, you know, by the way, that's what Mormonism says. The angel Moroni shows up and gives him gives the five golden whatever the tablets or whatever they are. And they are off they go. If anybody had been around with a, with a half a brain, they would have been saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, um, Joseph. We have to evaluate that experience you just had. By the truth, not let your experience give us the truth. Angelic visions, even, must be tested by the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, the how to of knowledge, the how to of truth, is not via my experience. It is not via the church. It is not via the Pope who establishes the authority of the church. I I discover truth by measuring what I say against a simple message of the righteousness of God on display in Christ Jesus' finished work. Judge me. Judge me by the gospel that I preach. And so when it comes to little things like sola scriptura, I have a duty, a duty to be intolerant. I cannot allow folks to, well, you know, we've got three sources of authority. We've got, we've got church tradition, we've got the Pope, and we have the scriptures. I cannot stand idly by and say, oh, okay. No. I am not to be judged by tradition. I'm to be judged by the gospel that I hold, the gospel that I, hold, that I preach, because, ladies and gentlemen, the finished work of, of Christ is being maligned by these folks and others. And at that point, at that point, somebody's got to stand up and say, go to hell. What Paul said. <laughs> By the way, and I'll say this, and we'll wrap this up. But, um, oh, Paul, there you go again. Uh, you know, is this just some kind of intemperate outburst on your part? Did you have a bad day? Is your is your blood sugar, you know, kind of low? I mean, go eat a banana. Uh, it, uh, you'll be. I mean, um, I, I was in a setting one time where a a preacher just lost it lost it lost it i mean was screaming and hollering and used drop the f bomb and you know just lost it and somebody i mean after he had stormed out of the setting he um, somebody came up and said low blood sugar <laughs> Um, I mean, I mean what can, anyway, is that what we have here? At least a little low blood sugar. Is this some kind of intemperate outburst on the part of the Paul? Is this a sentiment that is worthy of the gospel? That, ladies and gentlemen, is why he repeats himself. He states it once in verse 8, and then he comes back and he says, just to make sure that you know that this wasn't some kind of intemperate outburst. I say it again. That's what he says. Look at the look at the text, guys. He says, um, "So I say, so now I say again, because I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. It wasn't, it wasn't me getting carried away. I mean every word of what I said. Even the apostle Paul." subordinates himself to the gospel of Christ. The gospel is the standard. It's the plumb line. And whatever authority that the church has or the church's preachers have, it is a derived authority from the gospel message, judge me. Judge me by the gospel I preach. I want to read you one other thing, and I'll quit. I want to read you a statement. Um, let me find it. There it is. Oh, I love that. Oh, these are these words are red. I wonder what that means. I mean, those are black and these are red. I don't get it. But let me just read you what to say. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he be thrown into the sea. You know what I mean, it's just a heavy, you know, concrete block. Jesus said that, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus says you tamper with this thing and you're better off at the bottom of the ocean. That's intolerance, ladies and gentlemen. It's not intolerance across the board, but it's intolerance when it comes to this, this message of truth that we have for the world. And over that message, ladies and gentlemen, I say to you, we have a duty. A duty to be intolerant. Our Father, I I do pray that you would help us know just when to be that uncompromising and when not to be. There's not much, Father, it seems to me, that, but this thing, this thing over which the apostle, the apostle Paul is willing to damn himself plus the whole angelic host so that it could be maintained as the plumb line for everything else. That, Lord, would you give us enough backbone, enough love of men's souls, and enough, enough, enough love for the finished work of Christ to defend it. Tenaciously. Uh, oh, might we who stand behind podiums have a fear wrought in us that should we in any way mitigate, malign, or misuse this message, causing little ones to stumble, that we would be better off at the bottom of the ocean. Now, Father, give us a love for this message. It is, it is beautiful to those of us who know its power. And thank you for providing a way for people as wicked as I am to be forgiven everlastingly. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, and good night.